You're listening to a Score North podcast right now, and if you're a business owner, so are your customers. In fact, I could be talking about your business right now, telling the tens of thousands of loyal fans about you and sending them to your business. Find out how you can partner with your favorite Score North podcast. Visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. Fill out the form, and we'll get in touch with you quickly. Once Phil, Judd, Declan, or others start talking about your company, you'll be amazed at how many fans start showing up. So visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. Phil Mackey, Judd Zolgad. They don't fool around. That's why people trust them. I know. Mackey and Judd on 1500 ESPN. The Twins were informed Sunday night they were not going to be in the running with Shohei Otani, the Japanese two-way superstar. They, uh, you know, put together a, a package on why Minnesota would be a good fit for him. But at the end of the day, I think Otani, you know, wanted to be on the West Coast um, and decided that the best fit uh, is going to be elsewhere and not with the Minnesota Twins. Let's do a little twins myth busting here, real quick. All right, myth myth number myth number one of the off season. I've seen this from several people, Twitter, smart people that I've seen tweet stuff like this out. Mm-hmm. That, uh, that the the twins aren't in on the Otani uh, sweepstakes anymore, and it's not them. It's but the but the thought is, come on, twins, why don't you pay up for this guy? This is this is the hot prospect. This is twenty three year old Japanese Babe Ruth. Why don't you? Stop pinching pennies, poll ads. Yep. Well, the myth busting here would be that it was the Twins that offered more money than almost any other team for Shohei Otani in a capped system, and they were told no by Otani. Mm -hmm. They were rejected by Otani, and Doogie even had more information on it in his scoop segment last hour that they spent days and hours putting together this elaborate presentation, and they just wanted to get to that final round where they could go face-to-face with him. Which lots of teams did. Yeah, on the West Coast. I mean, every all 30 teams should have been in on this guy yeah. if they weren't because uh, the most you'd be able to pay for him is like 3.5 or $4 million signing bonus and then $500,000 a year in his pre-arbitration. It's, and if he turns into a star player, then you're getting a huge discount. But they were all in on him, and they were told no. It's seven teams, all that are either on the West Coast or two Texas and Chicago that train in Arizona. Cubs, correct. Yeah. So he wants. He's from Japan. He just doesn't want to have to fly to New York yeah. or Florida. It's just. It's an extra leg of travel. But they that did you don't not want. get turned down because they're too cheap to pursue a player like that. No. That is true. Uh, Doogie said uh, Thad Levine joined his podcast. That'll be posted sometime here, uh, probably today. That the Twins would consider doing maybe six years for a pitcher. But the question of let's say it's six years, one hundred twenty million dollars for a U Darvish. He's 29. He hasn't been quite the same pitcher. He's still a really good pitcher. He'd be their best starting pitcher. Yeah. But those six-year contracts for guys who are going to be 35 years old at the end of them always make me a little hesitant. There's there are other ways to acquire top pitching talent. Um, so I don't. If I were put in that situation, I'd probably pull the trigger on it because you you need pitching, and he's a really really good starting pitcher. And there's no salary cap, so it's yeah. not going to come back and bite you in that way. But I would do it knowing that it probably wasn't going to work out to the degree that you hope when you put pen to paper. I don't see these guys doing a six-year contract with a guy who's had Tommy John and is going to be 35 by the end of that contract. Do you? I, I, I think these guys are far more intent and far more confident that they can find pitching, young pitching, uh, that they're not going to feel that their, their hand is forced. Now, that doesn't mean I couldn't see them eventually doing a six-year contract with a pitcher. 
But in this case, I think it's I think it's a bit premature, and I think a guy coming off or not coming off, but a guy who's had Tommy John yeah. is probably not the right choice. Now, now where I give these guys credit though, and this is very smart, and and this gets back to, to what you brought up with Dukes, is these two are going to be and and Thad especially because he's good with us, but they're going to be much more active in 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 floating things publicly, which is really smart. Because if you go if you go to them and say you Darvish and they say you kidding absolutely not that kills it right there. So where I give I give these guys credit is I think they're going to play the game much more so. But that being said, I also think privately they look at a guy like that and they like him. But six years, thirty five, arm or elbow trouble previously, yeah, I think it's too much. I mean, if if it's if it's six years, one hundred twenty million dollars, so it's large financial assets for you, Darvish, or a collection of top young talent for, in in his prime, twenty eight year old Chris Archer, who has four years left, and it's a lot cheaper than that. It's, it's more like an average of nine million dollars a year. I lean toward the Chris Archer type than the you. I think Chris Archer is a better pitcher than you, Darvish. It's really close. It's it's very close. Right. Um, but. You know, anytime you can get away with landing top talent without giving up young top talent, you should explore that. Now, the other thing Doogie brought up, uh, Brian Shaw, the name Brian Shaw, that they're in conversations with with reliever Brandon Kinsler and uh, and also with this Brian Shaw who has been with the Indians for a number of years. Derek Falvey saw him come up through the system. So he's 30 years old, just turned 30 in uh, in November. Mm-hmm. And he has led the major leagues in games or, or appearances three times in the last four years. Okay. And he has a career ERA of 3.14 in seven years as a rock-solid reliever between Arizona and then lately Cleveland. Strikeout per inning, really good setup guy behind the uh, uh, Andrew Miller and Cody Allen collection. He would instantly be the best reliever in your bullpen. Now, the usage makes me pause a little bit there, where the guy has made 80 appearances, 74, 75, 79 uh, so he's and and then warming up certain nights where you don't sure. come in and you're so he's there's a lot of lot of usage there mm-hmm. for Brian Shaw and if you're wondering what the going rate is for that collection so the notch below Wade Davis and the notch below Greg Holland uh, where you, you're not an established closer but you're a really good seventh inning guy Mike Miner is a good comp Mike Miner just signed he was a starter with the Braves for a while Tommy John surgery missed two full seasons came back last year with the Royals. He's left-handed, mm-hmm. and so last year was his first year as a reliever. And he had a two-and-a-half ERA, 10 strikeouts per nine, 65 appearances, 77 innings, so big, full, healthy slate. Uh, not a closer, but late-inning guy. He just signed a three-year contract for almost $30 million. That's how much it costs right now. Yeah. There, there ain't it's no ridiculous. hidden gem bullpen but, help on the free agent market. But you just brought up what, in my mind, is the key difference between going out and signing a starter and a bullpen guy. Not the money, the term. I can handle three years. I'll do three years. Where I think there's a real decision to be made about about your your long-term decisions are the starters who want six years. To me, that's a lot. And, and especially if we're going to take a guy who's 30 and basically pay him till he's... 36, in which case you very well might be saying that at the age of 35 and 36, I'm paying you not to pitch possibly. Yeah. Uh, the term to me is where I find it much more palatable for a bullpen guy. I am more than willing to pay a guy three years. So that that's a lot to pay him, but I'll do that. Yeah, and you're going to have to. You're and I'm fine certainly. with that. 
And they should do that, and I think they will do that. Yep. But the traits team, you know, Doogie seems to think, just talking to his people high up with the Twins, that they're much more likely to spin a trade for a top starting pitcher. I think something is clear. They're not just going to go into the season with the same pitchers. They've had a think about what they've done. If you're wondering, oh, same old twins, you're going to hear a bunch of names. And this here's another myth. We're busting myths here. Twins myths. This isn't the same front office. Not not just in like the people who are running it, but the way that they've gone about their business. Oh, yeah, the structure. Yes. They have cleaned out so much of the old guard from scouts to minor league managers. They've hired from all. Di- they just hired a minor league pitching coordinator from Duke University. Yes. Like we're okay. Like who how is, many stones are they turning young, over? Who is young? How old is the? Do we well, know? He graduated in, in like 2006 or something or seven. So he's, so like he's third, not. Yeah. yeah. So he's not old. And he he re- replaced a guy who I believe had been with the organization for 27 years. Yes. So there's your difference. Uh, and so uh, just to finish that point, they so. Th- not only are they operating differently, and they've spent the whole year surveying the organization. So they spent the whole year looking at scouts and managers and the minor league organization coaches. And then after six to 12 months, they said, now we're going to make changes. Mm -hmm. So now that they've had a full year to look at all of the players in the organization, from Phil Hughes broken down to the relievers, I think they're going to be aggressive in changing personnel. I mean, you're not going to be able to overhaul the entire 40-man roster, but I think they're going to overhaul and be aggressive in terms of Seeking out pitching and free agency and trades. I think if you put together what Doogie and Derek have told us in the past couple of weeks or so, too, I think what we're going to see is this. I think the free agent dollars are going to be spent on the bullpen, and I think they're going to trade for a starter. I think it's becoming pretty clear, which which is why I'd be very surprised if they they went out and gave a starter six years. I think they're going. I think what they're going to try and do, and it's smart, is I think they're going to try and bring in. Younger pitchers at a price; it's not going to be cheap, but that they they will they will eventually move position prospects, possibly for a starter or two who are younger. And I think they're going to go out and spend the cash that they have on the bullpen. Yeah, that would make some sense. I mean, they have to do it, and and I am as I said, I'm much more willing to accept the fact that if that's your strategy, that you're going to go out and overpay on a shorter term. Yeah. Um. Yeah, the the only other myth I would uh, I would bust in this segment is that because I saw this a couple times last night too, um, you know why why would they? I was texting with somebody in the organization actually about this last night too that they, they were too cheap to sign. Yeah, they they spent money in the draft, but they were too cheap to sign Hunter Green. Well, first of all, no one knew unless you were a diehard draft follower. No one knew who Hunter Green was a year ago. If unless you were a you know a diehard oh. baseball fan, yes, and. Uh, and I just I think I trust these guys to dig deep and make the right decisions. And if they didn't, if if in need of top caliber pitching, if they decided that Hunter Green, he you know he doesn't have a curveball, mm-hmm. and he's just the makeup's not there. Mm-hmm. I trust them right now. They've got a full trust bank built up with me right now, even though they sold at the deadline <laughs> when they probably could have uh, been aggressive. But just they had a four percent chance to miss to make the playoffs. I was okay so. with that. People are going to hold that against them, but they're doing all these other things beneath the surface that make a lot of sense. If you trust that these guys have have the ability and background to find pitching and they pass on pitching, then, then I think you should trust on the fact that they passed on something that they didn't trust. Mm-hmm. So I don't see, I don't think this comes down to you can't spend. I think this comes down to how can you spend wisely. And, and I'll go back to, to what I said before, too. This is about replenishing an entire system. This is not about this is not the Vikings or the Wolves where where what you see here is what you get and that's it. 
This is about going back and basically starting over with an entire system that pitching-wise was broken. Yep. It was a Motel 6. Let's talk some Vikings when we come back here. Uh, by the way, uh, the Touch em All podcast, the Touch em All Twins podcast, we have uh, we have a, 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 the segment we did with Wetmore from earlier this week is posted right now about uh, what the Twins – actually, Wetmore predicted it, that they should they should spend money and, and turn that money uh, into prospects. We're going to have plenty more hot stove stuff on the Touch Em All podcast feed from now through the end of next week. So go subscribe if you want some uh, hardcore twins discussion, deep dives. Matthew Collar at Winter Park. There's a lot on the line this weekend at the top of the NFC playoff picture. The Vikings could take even another step if you look at some of the matchups this weekend at securing home field advantage. Let's discuss that and more with Collar next. Mackie and Judd now continue. I think all the pieces are there. On 1500 ESPN. Pretty good success, too, in the last three years facing Cam Newton. What have some, been some of the keys in that regard? Uh, I've got good players. It's just, you know, they played they played those games well. Each game's different, though. It, every time you play somebody, it's a different different deal. Um, you know, he's a very, very talented athlete. Um, they're doing a few different things with him now. Uh He's got a very strong arm, competitive. You know, they're good on third downs. Um, you know, they use him a lot in the running game, so it, it makes it difficult. Uh, yeah, Mike Zimmer was very careful with his words there. Matthew Collar, <laughs> 1500ESPN.com, and the Purple Podcast. You guys know my thoughts on Cam. I think he had one good pop-up season where he threw a bunch of touchdowns in the red zone, and he's largely just an underwhelming passer. And I don't think being an underwhelming passer, unless there's a a couple breakdowns on deep throws, I don't I don't think that's good enough to beat a Mike Zimmer defense playing at the top of its game. And Matthew, it's interesting he referred to Cam Newton as a good a great athlete and a guy with a big arm, but never said great quarterback. Uh, I don't know. I mean, that's probably nitpicking away at words there. I mean, I, I not think, at all. I, Honest to God, I, not I, at I, all. You think he yeah, calls no, you? I, you think he calls? Let's take the race out of it. Do you think he calls Russell Wilson just a great athlete and a great uh, a deep ball thrower? He calls him a great quarterback. He sees what uh, he sees I, what I see. I don't know. I I don't think that. I, I think that he's looking for the top things that Cam Newton has in his arsenal, and he's got one of the best arms in the NFL, and he runs all the time. And as far as athletes go, you won't find a better athlete in the NFL than Cam Newton, considering the size, the strength. The, the, the fact that, you know, he can run at any time. He can bowl people over like a fullback. I mean, you know, I think he was just trying to compliment those things. As a, as a pure passer, uh, he does not have the greatest accuracy in the world and probably is below average. But I would also say that for a long time in his career, he was kind of playing that throw the ball farther down the field offense, which I think definitely impacted um, the, his performances against the Vikings in 2014 and then especially last year because, uh, you know, the Vikings' pass rush is so good that when you're asking a guy to, to drop back in the pocket six or seven steps and things like that, throw it down the field, um, you know, the defensive line is just going to get after you. We've seen that happen with Jameis Winston and uh, Carson Palmer when they played him last year. So I think they are facing a very different uh, Carolina offense that now is going to rely – on throwing the ball much shorter and then looking for deep shots. I mean, their yards per completion for uh, Cam Newton is down quite a bit. I don't think that's because he's worse. I I think that's 
because they're playing a different offense. But, no, I, I think if you're Mike Zimmer, you have to give full respect to what Cam Newton can do um, and his skill set because he hasn't had a great season overall, I would say, but the games where he's been at his best, he has been unbelievable. Kyler, how many times this year do you think uh, that, that you've seen an opposing quarterback against this defense look comfortable? Uh, one, maybe. Uh, maybe, uh, I guess I would say Kirk Cousins would probably be the only time. Um, and that's the game where you didn't have Everson Griffin. And also, Washington was playing from behind for a, a great deal of that game, too, which is kind of how Kirk Cousins gets a lot of his big statistics. Mm-hmm. Um, but all the other ones, I mean, you know, no matter who it is, Matt Ryan last week did not look comfortable at all, Jared Goff. And I think that's as much about the pass rush as it is about what they do with Harrison Smith pre-snap. Because I, I think quarterbacks read the safeties first, and they think, okay, I know where the safety is. And then when they take the snap, the safety's in a different spot. Or they think, okay, I've got room to make this play, and then all of a sudden Harrison Smith is there because he sniffed it out. And we saw that last week on a little uh, – green pass where I mean, normally you see the it go for 20 yards and Harrison Smith just shot through two blockers and made the play. And, and I, I think that has as much to do with why quarterbacks are as uh, uncomfortable as they are uh, as it does Everson Griffin and Daniel Hunter in the pass rush. Uh, Matthew, there's a lot on the line in the NFC this weekend. You've got, uh, you've got interdivision matchups, uh, Saints and Falcons, that's tonight. And uh, those are two teams. The Falcons are, they, they got to win some games here. They're seven and five, but uh, but that's going to affect the NFC. Obviously, Vikings and Panthers, and then Eagles going on the road across the country to the Rams. So that's not a gimme game at all for the Eagles. In fact, I believe they're three-point underdogs last I checked. So if the Vikings can take care of business against a Panthers team, and if they can get some help from the Rams, they're in really good shape going forward here into the last three games of their schedule. Yeah, and the closer that I look at the Panthers, I, I think this is a team that the Vikings should definitely beat. I mean, of course they have the better record, but I, I also think the Panthers' defense is way overrated. I, sometimes we look at just the pure number of yards that they've given up, and we say, oh, they're the sixth-best defense in the league, but it, that is not the case with the Panthers' defense. I think part of the yards statistic has to do with the fact that they run the ball a lot, they uh, eat clock, they're throwing short passes, now they're – second in time of possession in the league. But, I, I mean, when I look at their secondary, I don't think they have a chance against Stephon Diggs and Adam Thielen. I think the only thing that they might be able to do is get Keenum off his game by blitzing him a lot. But I think we saw last week how good he can be at the line of scrimmage when it comes to leading uh, defenses and what they're going to do. So I, I, I'm feeling like as we go into this more and more that this is a big advantage Vikings, and I would be a little surprised if they lost, but I would not be at all surprised if Philadelphia went out to L.A. and wasn't able to pull that off because Philadelphia, you look through their schedule, I mean, they have not had many impressive wins at all so far this year, and I think uh, Seattle may have exposed them a little bit. Are you buying uh, that, that Captain left millions on the table to go from the Vikings to Carolina? Yeah, I mean, millions is kind of a vague term, isn't it? I don't know. If, it, if it's Two million over three years is that millions? Yeah, yeah probably right. It, so it seems I mean, like I, a stretch to know. me, but 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 I mean, if you if it was you or I and they were talking about two or three million over a couple of years, we'd be like, that's millions. That's a lot of money for us uh, for these contracts with these NFL players. Maybe we don't look at it as so much, but I do believe that they wanted to bring him back because when we 
ended the season last year, we felt very down on where Mackenzie Alexander was and had not that much confidence in Trey Wayans playing as well as he has this year and playing 90% of the snaps on the outside or didn't have much confidence in Terrence Newman moving inside at age 74 and learning a new position. But all of that stuff has worked out really well. So I, th- I think that they did want to bring him back. It just uh, he wanted to go back to Carolina, and that's what he ended up doing, and it's worked out just fine for the Vikings. But I did see quite a few comments saying good riddance, whatever. I mean, Captain was a good player. Yeah, I mean, he was he was very good and very valuable for them. I thought last year in that defense, uh, but you know they've just found a way with Terrence Newman. Just uh, he's an, an amazing specimen, somebody who can continue to play at this level, still playing about sixty percent of the snaps at age thirty nine. And, and adjusting to a new spot and doing a great job is really amazing. Yeah. Uh, hey, Matthew Collar, uh, Purple Podcast, 1500ESPN.com. He's at Winter Park on a regular basis. Uh, is Everson Griffin just practicing against a turnstile all week in practice <laughs> uh, as he prepares to face uh, off against Matt Khalil? Yeah, there's been a lot of, like, no one wants to say Matt Khalil was really bad around here. There's been a lot of, like, hey, he was a great teammate, and, uh, you know, Zimmer <laughs> said they wanted to resign him, and, and maybe that's true. I mean, maybe it is true that they wanted to re-sign him, and they just got lucky, and he went to Carolina, and they end up with a much, much better left tackle. But uh, Khalil, especially early in the season, was about as bad as you could be. And then, of course, we got the redemption Khalil stories when he had a few good games. I was looking into this, what the Carolina media had written, and it was the same stuff. Oh, Khalil, he's figuring it out. He's had three games in a row where he hasn't given up a sack. And then last week he got a face mask holding and gave up a quarterback hit on the same play. <laughs> oh, wow. So, That's impressive. That's impressive. I mean, he is, it's the same guy. It's the same inconsistent guy who's really, really talented but is always going to frustrate you and is not a great competitor or anything like that. And I think now from what I was watching on tape, I think they're giving him a lot of help. I think they're giving him chips. I think they're giving him tight ends. Sounds familiar. They fi- yeah, yep, exactly. They figured it out real quick that this is not a player you should have given all that money to. Hey, when when is the is the National Football League going to come to its senses and force the sale of the Browns? The Browns blew out their entire <laughs> executive staff today. Uh, this has gotten to be, honest to God, this has gotten to be such a joke. Why not just say, you know what, Cleveland, Jimmy Haslam has to sell because as things stand right now, this franchise does not belong in the NFL. Well, I think that uh, Jimmy Haslam will eventually end up in jail. So, you know, it'll get forced one way or another, right? Okay. I mean, isn't, there, isn't there big uh, you know, litigation with him and uh, the uh, whatever it is, the thing that, that he owned, the gas stations or whatever? I don't know all the details of that. But it really an embarrassing look for them, again, as if you could get any lower from that clown show that it's been under Jimmy Haslam and pretty much since they came back in the league. And, you know, the worst part about it, is that I think their front office did a good job. Like, yes, they passed on Deshaun Watson. And, you know, uh, Watson looks like he's going to be a great quarterback. But there were numbers to suggest that maybe that's a high risk there, and they were not in a spot where they could take a high risk. But they've set up the rest of that roster. They've built a great offensive line. They've got a couple of playmakers in the backfield that are pretty good. They've drafted defensive players. Miles Garrett is a freak and he's going to be amazing and and they've got good cornerbacks too so they've got this team where you can put in a rookie quarterback next year that you draft number one overall and maybe it's Josh Rosen and he's going to feel like he's got a good situation as long as they go out and sign a couple of wide receivers in free agency or draft a playmaker 
And then all of a sudden you've got a, a good situation, you're going in the right direction, and they just blew out all the people that created that really good situation for your future quarterback. Like, yes, they lost a bunch of games this year. They look bad. But we see this all the time where teams are bad for a long time. The Philadelphia 76ers, right? They're bad. They're bad. They fire guys. and They fire guys. And then all of a sudden, those guys that they drafted high, your Joel Embiid's, they start showing up and playing well, and then your franchise is turned around. Judd, as a hockey guy, would love the uh, the tanking theory. And you could say they've been tanking for years and years, but I don't think they ever took this smart of an approach to stack up the number of assets that they have. They've got a ton of draft picks coming up. I mean, they should be a good team, but you just can't trust anything that they're going to do with this owner. You know, for a lot of these dumpster fire teams, I tend to root for, you know, I, I hope that the – you know, the Lions can catch a break or whatever at some point. I think I think Matthew and Judd, I'm actively rooting against the Browns just because of how horrible their owner is. They deserve this at this point. They Absolutely, deserve all yes. of this. Absolutely. Oh, I, yeah, I, t- I totally agree with that. I mean, it's, it's just baffling to me that you finally, as an ownership, like started doing the right thing and finally started saying, okay, instead of trying to go out and overpay – some terrible free agents on long-term contracts or, or whatever, or drafting a quarterback 20th overall or whatever Brady Quinn was or <laughs> Brandon Whedon was. No, no, no. You're going to set up the infrastructure for your future number one overall quarterback, which is probably going to be Josh Rosen. I mean, that's the way to do it. And one of the reasons I think that Deshaun Watson had so much success early on is because, I mean, there's a, a good infrastructure there with Houston at the beginning of the year where they had, a good defense, and they had some playmakers and a good running back and a couple of good linemen. It was like, okay, you know, all right, you've got a guy who could step in and throw to DeAndre Hopkins or hand off to Lamar Miller, and you feel good about that. And that helps with these rookie quarterbacks. You saw Carson Wentz take this huge step forward. He's got a really great team. They signed Elshon Jeffrey, right? So, like, that's with young quarterbacks, that's what you need. So I feel like they built everything around it, got Horrible, horrible quarterback play this year, but a lot of talent on the roster to go into next year. Okay, if I was the owner, I'd be like, all right, we're good. I don't care that we're this bad this year because I know that over the next two years we can make ourselves a legitimate contender. But now, what's the next person going to do? Is the, is the next person going to be absurdly old school and draft, you know, Josh Allen from Wyoming yes. because he's got a big arm or something? Is that, is that yes, exactly. Because I, I can see it. Yeah, it's going to be, I don't know. I hope they... I hope they just fold the franchise again. Oh, oh, force them to sell. Let's move them to Baltimore again. Let's put two franchises in Baltimore. <laughs> that's a really good idea. That's man. a good idea. All right. Good stuff, Thanks, Matthew. Collar. See you, man. Talk to you soon. Thanks, guys. All right. Matthew Collar from the Purple Podcast and 1500 All ESPN. Sean Jeffrey, who the Vikings made a significant bid for, and he elected to go to Philadelphia. Yeah, the Vikings offered him multiple years, right? And he signed a one-year deal yes, as, they as did. a trial run. I was very surprised, actually, to find that. No? That was the one thing, the, the one guy that, that they went after that I was surprised by. I didn't see him doing it, and they, they, I think, offered him three years. Adam Thielen's better. They're different receivers, but Thielen's oh, yeah. better. Now, Alshon versus Diggs, you could debate that, but, I mean, Diggs went healthy. The only thing that will hold me back is Diggs is banged up all the time. Mm-hmm. But uh, Jeffrey's had some injuries throughout his career, he, too, I think, hasn't he? He has, yes. Hmm. Uh, Dave, questions next. What do you got for us? A uh, little Wolves, little NFL looking at a new targeting rule, but let's be honest, it's all a preview for Patrick Royce coming in here at the end of the show to rip you guys a new one. Oh, is he? It's going to be me. Sure I, I got a feeling I'm right in the crosshairs, and I deserve it. I think I, him and I had our little thing. My guess is it's you as well. It's going to be me. We'll see. All right. I'm okay with that. Becky and Judd are back. Okay, let's not scare the children. On 1500 ESPN. 
Now on Mackie and John. Do you believe in past lives? Did we ever really land on the moon? Questions. What are the six degrees that separate you and Kevin Bacon? Of significant importance. All right, Dave's got some questions for us here. Let's blow through these so we can get ample time for uh, Patrick to rip you guys. Sounds questions. Good, yep. Sponsored by Thanks, Robert Dave. W. Barrett and Company. First one is easy. NFL, the word is considering a targeting rule, very similar to what is now enforced in college football. A, do you like the way it's done in college? B, do you think it would work with the pros? Um, I like I like the way it's done in college in, in that I think the rule is a good idea. The only thing that makes it very difficult is is when a, a receiver catches the ball and then he like ducks down and gets hit and targeted when when the defender didn't think that he was going to uh, hit him in that area. All of that being said, yes, I do like the rule itself, and I do think that it will it would and will work in the pros, and I'm sure it's coming because you just can't. The issue is you've got to find a way, and, and as Phil said, it's going to take some time, but you've got to find a way to get younger football players to redefine tackling as we know it now. You can't have people continue to get concussions and have this be a viable sport, I don't think, 30 years down the road. Yeah, I think if if targeting were to, if you included a targeting penalty in the NFL, first of all, it has to be reviewable, and it, and it would be because it's reviewable in college football. In fact, I would make all 15-yard penalties of any kind reviewable just to make sure that you're not altering the game by something you thought you saw at full speed. Um, it's so complicated. I, I guess I would say, yes, you could put a targeting penalty in if you thought that it would help reduce some of these bone-shattering concussion you know, CTE hits. But I, I, I'm, I'm really caught in between here because I empathize with players who are just trying to go out there and make hits, and sometimes... Sometimes a ball carrier will lower his position and you've already committed to your tackling lane and it's an accident. And so so if you could determine intent, that would be nice, but you can't. So it's just super complicated. But I would say in general, if you could more clearly define what's acceptable and what's not, and if adding a targeting penalty would, would specify, hey, maybe you're not ejected after the first one, but maybe it's like, a specified different punishment or something um, I, I where players don't know what's a penalty, what's not like, why, why am I suspended? If I'm initially suspended, if I'm Juju Smith Schuster, I mean, that's never been a suspension before. Is it a 15 year penalty? Sure. Yeah. So there's, I think they have to do a better job, maybe defining punishments and putting things in different bins. Two pieces of audio from Timberwolves post game last night after the win over the Clippers in LA. The question after you hear them is simply going to be, your thoughts. First, Jimmy Butler with Marnie. You look like you played 40-plus minutes. Do you feel like you played 40-plus Yeah, we need to talk to Tibbs. These 40 minutes are starting to add up. Tibbs, press conference. Does Cap play with more energy when he, when he does get more touches? Well, he plays the same. I mean, you, you guys, I, I don't understand what you're saying. But it, we run the, the same system every game. So, you know, I don't, I don't know where, where you're going. Uh, what do you mean by that? I mean, just when he gets the ball more, does he play? Does he he touches the ball a lot in every game. Uh, yeah. <laughs> okay. Your thoughts. I didn't hear Dude, that. He needs to. Was that FSM post game? That was uh, taken from FSM post game. I mean, the media Jerry scrum. Jerry's going but... asking questions in the scrum right after the game. Yeah, but that's on FSN's website, huh? Him freaking out a little bit like that. This Usually was on Twitter, would... but yes, it, I, okay. I assume it made the website or Take it YouTube. Down. Dude, Take it down. He needs to pump the brakes, man. 
Not Zagoda. Those are very good questions. Okay, if you're a head coach and your star offensive player, Carl Anthony Towns, had three shots and stood off to the side in the fourth, three shots through three quarters of the game two games ago, and then stood off to the side in the fourth quarter, basically, while Jimmy Butler for two games just went bonkers and they just played isolation, Wiggins, Butler, Teague. And then you made a concerted effort clearly to get him involved in the first half. To dismiss it like it's not obvious he was more involved is so childish. And then Jimmy Butler, that was an interesting thing. Did he say we got to talk to Tibbs about the minutes or we did talk to Tibbs yeah, about the minutes? Got to talk to Tibbs about that. God, what, what is his problem? <laughs> and that and that gentleman comes on the heels of Waylon sitting down with Butler uh, for an FSN in- interview that they did yesterday in which Butler said something about, well, the opponents will know our plays because Tibbs will scream the damn things out. Um. Yeah, this is this is a segment. This is I mean this is more there's a lot here to unpack. One is Butler's a thousand percent right. And the guy and Tibbs needs to calm down and he needs to stop playing people 40 minutes a night, 42 sometimes. Uh but the cat thing is he knows he's being criticized for what happened against the Grizzlies and rightfully so. And I bet you Towns came to him too and said, "What's going on here? I got seven points." So, so Jerry Zagoda was exactly on the right path. And Tibbs' reaction to me is very telling because that's almost an admission that he knows he's screwing up too. Well, he touched the ball plenty. That was okay. That's a guy who There's probably doesn't. There. I don't think ordinarily. I don't think he gets caught up too much in what people think. Otherwise, you know, I mean, look at him. If he cared what people thought, he wouldn't be bellowing for two and a half hours every single night on the sidelines. That's a guy who started reading press clippings and or listening to or watching the criticism in the last week and then came ready to go when a question I I bet he got surfaced. a toss. I I bet Towns or Butler came to him after that game on Monday and said, "How does Carl Anthony Towns have 7 points and what? 6 shots? Dude, 3 shots over 3 quarters this you isn't, said? This isn't really going to work, is it? This whole Tom Thibodeau thing. <sighs> he rarely gets defensive like that. Rarely. That's good stuff though. It's very good stuff. That's really good stuff. That's but I did it in questions, not stuff, which is weird. No, whatever you did, it was good. I enjoyed it. Remember the story of twenty-year-old John Gorky winning a date with Jeannie Bouchard, the tennis player, because of a Super Bowl bet? Yeah. yeah. Are they she, engaged now? Uh well, what might be? What? Maybe not quite that far, but they went on a date. She said, "Atlanta." I knew Atlanta would win when they're up twenty-eight-three. He says, "The Patriots win." We go on a date. She says, sure. Well, obviously, the comeback happened. They went on a date in New York. This is all back in February. She tweets a photo last night of the two of them hanging out on a couch somewhere. And another one this morning of, hey, guess who came to visit me? Ha, ha, ha. This 20-year-old Missouri, uh, University of Missouri student. Question is, boys, he's obviously found some way to get in the heart of the celebrity crush he had as a 20-year-old. Do you feel confident at any point in your life, whether you were 20 or old now, as old you are now, or even to the future, that you could have pulled anything like that off? Because I can, without a doubt, say there's no chance I could have. <laughs> I'll go first. No. <laughs> nope. No. There, I'm done. No. To slide into someone's DMs all creepily. Oh, my gosh. Uh, no. A no. world-famous athlete Actually, all creepily. You know what? I'm going to say yes, in that if I were able to hack into Ryan Gosling's Instagram account, I'd for sure be able to pull it off. You are a dream. Gosling or Clooney? You got Brad Pitt maybe too? I don't think Clooney's rocking social media, is he? It'd be a little harder. But if he was, 
Yeah, if you could, popular. if you could hack into like uh, LeBron James's uh, kid, Twitter account, you'd be good, good for, to go. Good for this kid. Outstanding. I mean, work. Are they, are they like hooking up, or do, what, what do we? I don't know. There's just two uh, two photos. One involves mistletoe. I, yeah. But one was this morning. You said one was last night, and she posted another one just a couple hours ago. So yes. where do we? Okay, wow. So we're assuming that unless he has a hotel nearby, yeah. He didn't leave. Interesting. Mm-hmm. So Pat's going to come in here next and light one it's of us up. Be, it's going to be me. I, Hopefully both of you. Uh, I'm fine with that. I'm in the clear. I, know I deserve that. it. All right. Mackie and Judd are back. Put down the sports page and listen. On 1500 ESPN. Hey, if you want to win a 55-inch TCL Roku TV, join me, Dave Harrigan, at Jimmy's in Vadnais Heights, 2 to 4 this Saturday for the Ultimate College Football Viewing Party with Dosakis. Enjoy a nice cold one and register to win that new TV. Put game day over everything this college football season with Dosakis, the official beer sponsor of the college football playoffs. More details at 1500ESPN.com. All right, Patrick Royce has emerged into the studio with what looks to be handwritten notes on a napkin here. Yeah, no, it's paper towel. When you fellas start talking right, history, on. Minnesota sports history, you, you got issues. You need, you know, I love Dave Harrigan. I'd take Dave Harrigan, but you need Manny Hill when you start talking history, right? Because he's like... I screwed up Joe Cap. Uh, oh, more than that. <laughs> Uh, I sent you Sam Mitchell. Yeah, Sam Mitchell. You decided we acquired him from Indiana. I think I said that. Uh, whichever one of you. 1989-90, he had played previously for the Albany Patroons okay. for Mussey. Okay. Oh, and then he went to Indiana. He came in there. It was the start of his NBA career. He was a very good player here three okay. years. So much so that they were able to trade him and Pooh. After that year, then Sam came back later. I'll have you know that only one of us was actually a 20-year-old adult in 1989 <laughs> in this know, room. I know. Which but, is why I don't recall. I, I, <laughs> I sent you a guy coming out of nowhere, Sam Mitchell, for a reason. Not because he just came in from Indiana mm-hmm. and, uh, come on. and played. Keep him coming. Tony Campbell. Had averaged 6.2 points for the Lakers and had spent about two-thirds of that season with the Albany Patroons. Okay. Came in here, averaged 23.2, 21.8, and 16.8 in three years. Mm-hmm. So, out of nowhere, Tony Campbell. Sure, that's you, pretty he good. He qualifies that's out pretty of good. nowhere. Okay, there he goes. Okay. Now, now the Johan. Yes. You're using Johan as a comparable to a 29-year-old quarterback who's kicked around for five years. Yeah, Johan mm-hmm. was like 20 when 21. the Twins acquired him. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 20 when they drafted mm-hmm. him. 21. Now, in fairness, he was available because he wasn't one of the 40 good yes, enough players. True. So that's there true. is that. But, but yeah, but, you're right. But you can't take guys who who are prospects who appear Right. And put him with Case well, Keenum, who's kicked around for five weeks. I agree with that, yeah. We were trying to come up with any players who, yes. emer- who emerged. You came up with a very good one, Scott Diamond. That was a good one. As you say, let's hope Case Keenum doesn't become Let's just Scott say, you Diamond. know, all those stories about Scott. Scott Diamond had this big season. Ooh. He drives a Ford Focus. He knew that it was all I don't think he wasn't driving a Ferrari. And then, yes, Joe Cap. Yeah, we were wrong. I was Joe wrong about Cap. It was his third season, 1969. He came in from Canada, where he'd been a. Mm-hmm. I think he won a cup, a great cup up there. Mm-hmm. He made 11 starts in 1967. He started all 14 games in 1968. Mm-hmm. Uh, when they uh, actually had a playoff game in Baltimore, I believe. Okay. 
And then here's what's interesting. 1969, he played the whole season. Gary Quazzo started game one. Okay. They lost to the New York Giants. Okay. Game two, they put Cap back in the lineup against the Baltimore Colts, really? who had beat him in the playoffs. Met Stadium, Cap throws seven touchdown passes so, that day at Met Stadium, and then it was Joe so, Cap's team. So Cap, Cunningham, and Keenum all came in yes. in game two. Yeah, you can say Cap. There Cap, you go. You could compare Cap as, uh, you know, with Cunningham and, and him. But Joe Cap was not like out of nowhere. Yes. first time here, okay? Yeah. He'd been here three years. And then he did leave to, Jack, what was it, the 80-year-old agent, Jack Elliott, John Elliott Cook, or something like okay. that, was going to get free agency in football, and that's why they held him out and he ruined and his And they career. traded him to the Patriots, right? Yes. And the comparable of comparables, now you got to be as old as me, but if you want the comparable of comparables. Patrick Ricey from Fulda, Minnesota, Keenum, to the Pioneer Press? Uh, Bill Daly. 1963 relief pitcher for the Twins. All right. They were contenders that year. You know, the year before, they'd finished second. And they, the day before the season, they were playing Cleveland mm-hmm. here to start the season. Bill Daly wasn't going to make the Cleveland team. They acquired him, basically, because he was there. Really? Put him in the bullpen. And we were singing... That summer, won't you come in, Bill Daly? Won't you come in? <laughs> Give us Bill some. Daly, us with a few bars. Bill Daly was, uh, well, uh, Bill McGrain, the great Bill McGrain, who uh, later became the Bears PR guy and everything. But he was uh, he was a very fine writer at the uh, Tribune, and he, he came up with the ditty to the Bill Bailey tune with the Bill Daly uh, thing. But And mm-hmm. pitched him 115 <laughs> innings or something as a reliever. Blew out his rotator cuff, pitched 14 games the next year with a rotator cuff, never pitched in the big leagues again. See, I love those there stories. Like like Jim Cott, had, Jim Cott talking about yeah. uh, that he he would have needed Tommy John yes. surgery if Tommy John surgery existed. But he just kept pitched going, right? 10 more years <laughs> yes, right. and just got a shot every other day, yeah. which you're not supposed to. Yeah. 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 I'm sorry about Sam. We shouldn't have dismissed Sam. My, no, that's, that was my bad. I don't send you just. I don't send you what? Sam Mitchell. Just I'm not like some dummy just throwing a name out there. <laughs> Sam Mitchell, you know, had a had a nice career. Four here. hour show. Yes, Take right, right. every hour of no, it. No, I I wouldn't complain about killing some time. That's a that's a very good idea. And Scott um, Diamond was a good uh, good. Uh, that's. See, my problem is I remember Bill Daly, but I wouldn't have remembered Scott Diamond. That's I'm like Sid. I remember what happened 50 years ago. I don't remember what happened. Uh, so winter meetings are, are next week. If the price tag were, apparently Levine's been texting with you, Darvish. Don't want so him. Six I want years. your trade. Miguel Sano for Chris Archer. Oh, so you're in on that. Oh, 100%. Yeah, you said that 100%. yesterday. You like that idea. Mm-hmm. Oh, 100%. Now, the Rays, uh, the Rays would want you to kick in yeah, something else. that's okay. That's okay. I'll give him somebody else. So I'll you think him. the big guy is not going to be? Uh, I'll give him. Not going to get it, huh? I'll give him. Give him Stephen Gonsalves. Ooh, Sano and Gonsalves. Yeah. Maybe they throw in their closer. Sure. That column A. That's and then we can make it big and go to Longoria, Longoria. And make it five for three. Then, yeah. But you're that not creates some excitement. The thing yes. is, this is where what drives me nuts. Well, what if what if he's David Ortiz or or Miguel yeah, Cabrera? Well, Those guys oh, that but, happened. But well, it, yeah. But they, you got nothing for Ortiz. If you get Chris Archer for Miguel Sano, you could live with it if he turns into a great yeah. player. He yeah. strikes out two hundred well, times a year. You know, I would tell Tampa, you want to make this trade, you got to do it before February fifteenth. Because if he shows up at 260 instead of 310, <laughs> then we're not making the trade. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. We don't know how big and fat he is. Yeah. But uh, we haven't seen him. But if he shows up at 260, 
You don't get There's it. a chance yeah, in, yeah. in two years he's going to be 325. <laughs> no, they won't let that happen. They'll give him a gastric bypass. Before that. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Miguel, hey, Miguel, come here for a second. What's going on? We're going to put you under for this. Uh, we're going to put you under for put this little strip of copper in your, yeah. in your shit. And when you wake up, you had a gastric gap. Holes all he wakes stomach. up, he's a 34-inch thir- waist. Yeah. <laughs> hey, Miguel, here's some new jeans to go home with. Yeah. <laughs> Oh man, yeah, that'd be fun. Is so. there anybody goofier? <laughs> is there anybody goofier in the history of American sports and LeVar Ball who has figured it out? Figured out the social media world better than him? Yeah, I, my guess I, is UCLA is so happy that he has. Okay, he's gone for now at least from oh, from okay. UCLA, and then he's now that he's put he's putting the high school. The high school kid signed with an agent too, so neither of them are going to. College. Oh, really? So he's going to go play okay. overseas. He's going to try to get the two of them. He was going to try to get some team overseas to take the two of them okay. with the promise that they'll play. So this kid, he's going to try to turn. What's the youngest? Leangelo's one? the worst one. The yeah, middle one. Yeah, he can't play. What's his? Kid? He wants him on the G League team. Lamelo. Yes. Yeah. Who can play? But I think that uh, you know he wants them to get. He's going to be 17 years old, yeah. and he's yeah. going to start playing pro. Uh, Pat's All back right. in a few hours. Thanks, we'll Pat. see you tomorrow. All right.